0: So glad you're with us this, this morning. If it's your first time with us here at Ethos, uh, we just wanted to let you know how, how honored we are that you're with us, no matter uh, just where you find yourself on your journey, uh, no matter kind of where you find yourself um, in your walk with Jesus, whether you're just full of faith and, um, or you're here maybe for the first time and you're, you're full of questions, uh, this, is, this is a safe place, safe place for you to be and no matter where you're at. On your journey, um, we're actually going to continue um, a series that we kicked off a couple of weeks ago. Um, and so, if you haven't been with us the past couple of weeks, I'm going to kind of catch us up. Uh, but we've been in this journey in First Peter, uh, so we're looking at this letter uh, that Peter wrote to a group of Christians about two thousand years ago, and he's writing this letter in hopes of kind of answering the question: Okay, how do we live lives? How do we live lives knowing? that where we are right now is, is somewhat temporary. Like knowing that, that where we're at right now in life is, is, is somewhat temporary. And I say temporary, because that's actually how Peter begins this entire letter. That's kind of how he chooses to start this letter. He says, hey, you're exiles. Like what a, way, what a way to start a letter. And maybe another word for exiles is this word sojourner. Um, you've maybe never heard of that word either. Um, and that 's where this title to this series comes from it's this idea that we find ourselves in a, in a temporary place. we find ourselves in a temporary foreign place as followers of Jesus and as Christians, as sojourners, if you will, we know that our home is eternal. we know that our home eventually is in heaven so even though we're kind of in this temporary place on our journey, Peter's letting us know, hey, you, you still have a purpose while you were here. You still have a purpose while you're in this kind of temporary place. And so the title to this series is A Sojourner's Guide. A guide, a roadmap, if you will, on how to live with hope in the midst of a very broken world. How, how to live with a sense of hope in the midst of a just very, very broken world. And I, I say brokenness because it doesn't take long when you look around, when you walk through life to either see this brokenness or experience this brokenness. And I know a lot of your stories personally. Um, and so I know that brokenness is, is a part of your life's journey um, up to this moment. And so today we're kind of getting to the first verse here in First Peter. Uh, that, that highlights, essentially one of the main themes, if not the main theme, here in First Peter. So really, the entire theme of First Peter, at least the major theme of First Peter, can be summed up in how a Christian, how someone who follows Jesus can face trials, can face troubles, can face suffering, in such a way that actually turns them into something beautiful rather than absolutely crushing them. You see, Peter, he's writing to a group of people who haven't uh, just experienced a bad day, haven't just experienced a bad week. In fact, this group of people that he's writing to, they, they've, they've had a pretty, pretty horrific decade. Uh, they have been facing this unbelievable um, political pressure. They've been facing this unbelievable persecution for their faith in what they believe in. They've they've lost family members. They've been just staring kind of face-to-face with with suffering, with trials, with tribulation for for a pretty long time. And so Peter, knowing their story, knowing where they find themselves, and I think where all of us either have or will find ourselves, he, he sits down and he writes this letter and he's heard their story, he knows their story, and so he sits down and he writes this letter of encouragement. And so I want us to get to the heart of Peter's message this morning. First uh, Peter chapter one, verse six. Uh, so we went through the first five, five verses over the last two weeks, and we pick up in verse six. If you're using one of our Bibles, it's found on page 850. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one off the table. Uh, 850, first Peter chapter one, uh, starting in verse six. We finished at verse 5 last week. And so, verse 6, Peter continues his letter. He says, In all of this you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise daily basis, we'll, we'll use the GPS feature on your phone. Like, raise your hand. If on a daily basis, weekly basis, you'll use the GPS feature on your phone. The rest of us uh, are wondering, for those that don't have your hand raised, like, how do you actually get around this, this city? Uh, and so I'm actually gonna ask a couple more questions uh, that I have found to be quite controversial. Um, some friendships may be severed here in the next couple of moments. And that, that's which GPS app do you use? So I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you use Apple Maps. If you raise your hand and you use Apple Maps, okay, raise your hand. All right. Hands down. Google Maps. Raise your hand if you're a Google Map person. We have some evangelists. Okay. And the third one is Waze. Waze your hand if you Waze. Okay. So Waze, Waze is the app that I'm going to talk about here for just a moment. Um, for those of you who use Waze, like, you're gonna know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, for those of you who don't use Waze, you're gonna kinda get a little insight into, into how Waze works. So Waze is essentially the ninja of all the GPS apps on your phone. Um, I don't really use GPS typically in Nashville because I don't know how to get where I'm going. I typically know how to get there, but I'm doing what a lot of us are doing. Okay, how do I avoid as much traffic as possible in this, in this city? And so sometimes what happens is you'll be using ways and you'll find yourself on a road, you'll find yourself on a route that honestly you didn't even know existed. You find yourself on this road in Nashville alleyway sometimes and you're like, how in the world did I get here? And am I I actually gonna get to where I'm going? Like, is this actually gonna get me to my destination? I know the route I thought it would take me and this this is not the route that I find myself on. So sometimes... The path to the destination is not always the way that we think it is. Sometimes, and I found this to be true using ways, the path to the destination is not what we would expect. And I think, yes, this is true, this is true driving. Like on a light note, it's true. But I think this is also true on a, on a kind of deeper human experience is it sometimes the path to the destination is not one that we would expect. And sometimes the best way to get somewhere is not actually the way that we thought was best. And so Peter, you know what he's getting ready to say here, what we just read, it's kind of this surprising path. It's a path that really no one would ever choose on their own. It's a path that leads to this eventual and beautiful destination, but one that kind of comes as surprising. And sometimes the path that, that will deepen our faith, that will deepen our hope, that will deepen our love in Jesus is actually a difficult one. And sometimes it's the path that's filled with grief and trials and suffering that, that take us into a deeper love, d- deeper relationship with Jesus. And I don't know about you, but like this is, this is so backwards from my way of thinking. This is so backwards from really the ways that I live my life. You know, I basically do everything that I can to avoid pain. I, I do everything that I possibly can to avoid suffering. I do everything that I possibly can to avoid any kind of discomfort. I, I really sometimes in my heart, realize, okay, I don't believe anything good could come from anything that's painful. And sometimes the path to a greater hope and a greater faith come in the midst of a really great struggle. And I'll be honest, this week, I had kind of a hard time on a heart level with this, with this text. And so I did my best to like create this really neat put together sermon with, with three points, and I just couldn't do it. And so this morning, what we're gonna do is we're just gonna kind of process these verses together. I'm just gonna make some observations. Uh, so we're just gonna process and just kind of make some observations about what Peter, what Peter is saying here. And this starts kind of verse six, the very first thing that Peter says. He says, in this, you greatly rejoice, That's where we picked off, picked up off at. And I think it's gonna be really important for us to understand what this is. Peter says, in all of this, you greatly rejoice. You see, he's getting ready to talk about grief. He's getting ready to talk about trials. And he's reminding them to rejoice in the truth that he just shared right before this. You know, it's kind of weird for us to read a letter of this length and of this magnitude. We don't really have conversations like this anymore. So Peter is in some ways having to anticipate the questions that they're going to be asking. So in real time, as he's writing this letter, he, he's anticipating what it is they're, they're going to be thinking, what, what it is they're going to be thinking in their heart. And so he reminds them, he knows where he's getting ready to go. He says, hey, in this, you greatly rejoice. And the this is important for us to understand in the midst of the conversation we're having today. And this is kind of my first kind of observation that I made this week, is that in order to be able to endure suffering and trials, it's important to know our true identity according to God and his word. In order to be able to endure suffering and trials, it's important for us to know our identity and truth of who we are in light of God's word. Because sometimes in the midst of the fire, in the midst of the trial, it's easy to forget truth because it will often not feel very true. At least that's from my experience. And so, Let's look at what this is. We have to remember what this is in order to be able to grasp this conversation that Peter's getting ready to take us into. And so he says, this is, you were chosen by God. It's how Peter starts the letter. He says, you are chosen by God. He says, you've been elected by God. And this is true for everybody. Every human who ever walks this earth has been chosen, chosen by God. This, This is a really big deal. Brandon talked about it in the first week, but this this is a really big deal for us to understand. It's a really big deal for us to believe this, that we, in fact, are loved by God, that we are, in fact, cherished by God, that we are, in fact, chosen by God. I don't know what your experience is. I know some of your experience, but I don't know what, what... what people who claim to know God and love God, how that has affected your experience. I don't know if you come in here this morning and you're full of questions about God's character. If you're full of questions about who God actually is, and this is for for you to hear, this is honestly for all of us to hear, is is it God loves you? Is it God, he looks at you, he looks at you and he loves you, period. Period. Before you could do anything to earn his love, before you could do anything to earn his affection, he looked at you and he loved you. Everything that you've done now up to this point, everything that you said, everything that you've done, he looks at you and he still loves you. Everything I've done up to this point, everything I've said up to this point, he looks at me and he loves me just as much as he did. There's this moment when my son Ike was born and I still kind of have these moments daily in all honesty, where, where I I look at him and I I love him. I I look at him and and I love him. There's, there is nothing, there's nothing that he has done to earn my love, to, to earn my affection. There's just this thing in me almost. I, I can't help, but love him. I look at him and I can't help but love him. And there's this thing about love for something that you have created. And we know from the word that it tells us, God, he created us in our mother's womb. And there's this connection between something you create and something you love. And God, he looks at you and he loves you. He he cannot help but love you. And this, this love, in all honesty, it's beyond our understanding. It really is beyond our understanding, but as Peter continues to explain the this that we're greatly rejoicing in, it's not something you simply have to take my word for. Peter continues, and this is verse three. He says, in his great mercy. So God, in his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that will never perish, that will never spoil, that will never fade. And so this is what God has done for us. He's not just given us life once. He's not just knitted us together once in in our mother's womb. He has given us life again. He opens up the door through Jesus to an even better life, a life full of hope, not only here and now, but a life filled with an eternal hope. And this eternal hope, this eternal salvation is so important because it speaks into our living hope in our current situation. Have you ever been really excited about like a trip you were gonna take, really excited about a vacation you had planned. For you, it might be Disney World, like you crazy Disney people. I don't fully understand it, but apparently it's amazing. I've never been, Keith keeps convincing me to go, but for some of you, it might be Disney World, like super stoked, super excited about it. Uh, for some of you, maybe that trip out west, Jill and Logan, you got to take a trip, see the Grand Canyon, uh, see all those amazing national parks. There, There's, This thing, though, the the destination was the goal and where you experience the fullness of that joy. But there was some joy and there was some goodness that came before you actually experienced the destination. You know, you had the joy of telling people you were going. You had the joy of looking forward to the trip Depending upon personality type, you have the joy of planning and looking into where you would go and what you would do, planning that all out. Hopefully you have a friend if you're on the other side of the spectrum. Uh, There's there's this joy that you get to experience even before you, you get to the destination. And the journey is so much better. The journey is so much better if the destination is actually worth the journey that you're going on. And it's not just about the journey. There's those people who tell you, hey, it's just about the journey. Not true. Yeah, it is about the journey. But it's also about the destination. You have to have both. And Peter, he tells us, he says, hey, the destination is worth it. The destination is worth it. You have an inheritance that will never perish, that will never spoil, that will never fade. You are gonna experience God fully how you were intended to experience God. He says, but you're gonna gonna experience fruit on the journey. You're gonna experience some of the fruit of the destination while getting there. The journey will be filled with fruit of the destination. But sometimes, sometimes, the journey looks different than we ever could have imagined. You know, the journey ends up looking different than we ever could have planned for, right? And Peter, he reminds us of our identity in God. He reminds us of the truth of who we are in light of God because he knows The path of grief and the path of trials is coming and will come. In this next portion of the verse, he says, hey, you face grief and trials of many kinds. And there's no perfect uh, translation here for this word grief. If you go back and you look at this word grief in kind of the older translation, it'd be interpreted um, heaviness, Really, it's a word kind of associated with a heavy storm. So, it's this idea that, you know, when, when a river is running clean and a heavy, heavy storm, heavy rainwater comes, what it does is it causes turmoil within the water and causes kind of the muck, the, the muddiness, the crap on the bottom to kind of be flushed up. And so, it's no longer blue and, and clear. It kind of becomes muddy and murky. There's this, there's this turmoil. That happens, and that's the word here that Peter's using. So the waters are troubled, so to speak. So as he says, In this you greatly rejoice. And we just talked about what the this is, it's what we talked about the last two weeks. In this you greatly rejoice, but you're experiencing distress, you're experiencing trouble, you're deeply disturbed, you're in grief, you're in pain. And so kind of my second observation that I made this week is that as followers of Jesus, we should expect, we should not be surprised, and we should realize that this is not something that we can avoid. Grief, pain, trials will come our way because that's how the life in this broken world operates. But this is such a paradox, right? It's, a, it's kind of a paradox. Not a contradiction, but, but the fact that you're rejoicing but you're troubled, that they're both a present reality. It doesn't say, hey, you're rejoicing now though you were troubled, or you're no longer rejoicing because you are troubled. It says, no, you're rejoicing and you're troubled. And you don't really see this anywhere else. You don't really see this this way of living in other religions or in other philosophies. And something that I think we often do as a church, often do as a community of believers, is expect people to rejoice, but not expect them to be deeply troubled. There's this lie that I often think that we're fed, is okay, once you become a follower of Jesus, you may go through suffering, but you won't feel it. You know, you're simply able to praise God. You know, you cling to the victory, right? You just trust, hey, it's, it's working together for your good, and so don't let it get to you. And Peter, he lets us know in this verse, this is just not accurate. In fact, I would kind of say that this attitude misses the beauty of life with Jesus. The word of God over and over and over again, if you read this, Christians don't just experience grief, experience trouble, they are actually affected by it. They are grieved by it. They are troubled by it. And one of the greatest pictures of this reality is is Job. And if you've ever read the book of Job, Job gets to the point in his life, all of his children have passed. All of his money is gone. His life has completely fallen apart. And it says that Job arose, that he tore his clothes, that he shaved his head, and that he screamed. It says that he, he yelled. He fell to the ground and he screamed. And this is what it says, says next. It says, and Job did not sin. In all of this, Job did not sin. If someone were to grieve in this way within our community, if someone were to come in here on a Sunday morning and this be where their heart is at, if this be the response, what, what would our response back be? Would it be, oh, they've lost sight of the victory. They're not praising the Lord. You know, Paul, he tells us, he says, you know, you're persecuted, but not forsaken. You're cast down, but not destroyed. You see, we're perplexed, but we're in despair. And it's a really odd tension to be living in, right? It's a really, really hard tension to be living in that those of you who are followers of Jesus would actually be more sad and more joyful because of the gospel. You see, you look at Jesus, you look at Jesus and you see someone who had perfect intimacy with the Father, who experienced perfect peace, uninterrupted peace, and what do you see Jesus often doing? Weeping. Why? Because he was perfect. You see, see, the more holy you are, the more perfect you are, the more you actually see and experience the brokenness around you. And I might argue that the gospel would actually make you a more sensitive person, a more feeling person. Because Christians, they don't just experience trials and suffering, they're actually affected by it. They experience grief. They experience being troubled. They see it around. And why would followers of Jesus be any different than Jesus himself? And what Peter tells us, he he says, actually your faith is gonna be made stronger because of these seasons, because of this suffering, because of this grief that you're experiencing. And I cannot even begin to understand this on an intellectual level. If you understand this on an intellectual level, I would love to be able to talk to you. You need to be the one up here teaching and speaking. But what I have seen is this in the experience of people around me. I have tasted it in the experience of of people around me. I have a friend who's kind of processing right now um, his, his dad's battle with cancer. And when they initially found out uh, not long ago, he's just kind of processing out loud, just kind of filled with sadness, and he's filled with grief, and he's filled with heartache, telling me all, all of what his dad's feeling, what he's feeling. And then in the same conversation, he says, but my dad was sharing with me who's a believer, he's never experienced the nearness of God more than he's experienced right now. He has never walked more closely with Jesus than he has right now in the midst of the worst news that he's ever received in his life. It's it's this faith that is being deepened and refined because we have to remember where Peter started. You have to remember where Peter started all things in perspective of our eternal hope. You see, the Christian life, as much as we kind of try to make it a comfortable, plain, clean one, it's not. (laughs) It's it's an eventful one. And, And this is why we have to hold and balance the grief with which we see and experience and walk in and the hope with which we believe in and experience and walk in. And the balance between this grief and this hope cannot be lost. Problems begin to arise when, when the grief begins to overwhelm the hope. And the power of a life with Jesus and the beauty of a life with God is that by the power of the Spirit, he brings us back into balance. Because it, a Christian, someone who's following Jesus, is really dealing with life. And it's not that you're rejoicing with no grief. No, the glory of a Christian life is that we have a hope that can overwhelm the grief. It doesn't eradicate it. It won't eradicate it, but it can sweeten it. It can sweeten the grief with which we're walking in. I spent time with a man in our church family this week. Um, his wife um, was diagnosed with early onset dementia six years ago. And I just listened to him kind of share just bits and pieces of his story over the last six years. Um, you know, he, he shared, he's like, this, is, this was not a part of the plan. This was not a part of the journey that, that we dreamed up together. This is, this is really not what we expected or planned for. He said, unless, unless God performs a miracle, which he believes God can do, he said, we're getting ready to near the end of our time on life here on earth together. And the entire time that we're having lunch, that we're sitting in his living room, he's just sharing scripture with me. He's just sharing wisdom with me. And we move back and forth between smiles and tears. Laughter and tears. And he's sharing with me this passage in in Proverbs about a hope that's deferred. And and it's in that living room this week that, that gave me a glimpse of grief and hope. Together. Being held together by a faith that has been put through and is going through the fire. It's listening to a story like the family that was at prayer gathering a few weeks ago. Family from Syria who had lost family members because of their faith, who had literally had to dodge ISIS because of their faith. And they speak at prayer gathering the other night of this hope that they have and they wanna share. And I can't wrap my mind Fully around the ability to hold these two together like they are. Peter, he continues, he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation. Of your souls. So walking with Jesus, following Jesus, it does not insulate our lives from the trials of lives. The trials, they will come. But what is different as followers of Jesus is the comfort and the eternal perspective through which we walk through those trials with Because we know that as followers of Jesus, we're not called to go on a path that Jesus has not already gone through before. He has walked through the fire so that when we walk through the fire, there is no question of where our hope sits. Our hope, both a living hope and an eternal hope sits in heaven. Peter, he says, you are receiving the end result. No, not fully, no, not fully, but in part. And I'm not sure where you find yourself this morning. You know, you may be sitting here and you may have experienced uh, grief and trial. You may have gone through that fire and you're sitting in this seat as a testimony of the faith that has bubbled up, the faith that has been refined And we need you here. Like we need you here. We need you sitting beside us. We need your testimony. We need your experience. You may be sitting here this morning and you find yourself in the midst of the fire. You find yourself in the midst of the trial. You find yourself in the midst of the pain and the brokenness, wondering if you're gonna find faith on the other side of this fire that you're going through on the brink of losing what you've always held on to, this is the place, this is the place that you should be. We need you here. We want you here. You may find yourself not yet a follower of Jesus, and there's something about this message that's stirring your heart in such a way that makes you think, okay, maybe, maybe this is something that I do want to be a part of. Maybe this is a God that I want to follow. Or Maybe you're at least kind of asking questions about what this Christian life actually means and looks like. We need you here. We're glad you're here. We want you here. Each week, that we gather, we, we, we pray together, we share together, we commune together. If, if prayer is what you need this morning, there's going to be some men and women at the back that would love to pray with you. If, if communion with the people you're sitting around is what you need to share, we're going to take communion here together in just a moment. And I just wanna I just want you to know, like this is this is not the place to have it all together. Like if you come in here feeling like, okay, got gotta put my best face on, gotta act like everything's all right, like it could not be more of the opposite. This is the place where you can fully be yourself, no matter where you find yourself. And so each morning that we gather, we go to the table around the room we go to the table which reminds us of the this. It reminds us of why we can greatly rejoice in the midst of some of the worst things that we experience. And there's this this prayer that I've prayed in a time of just group prayer. And it was a a prayer in just light of Jesus and light of his resurrection. I have hope for blank. So I don't know where you need hope this morning. I don't know where you find a lack of hope this morning. But as we go to the table, the prayer that I want to invite us to pray is this prayer of hope. In light of the brokenness, there's a lot of hope needed in this world. So the prayer might go like this for you. In in light of the resurrection, I hope for seeing a family member that I lost. In light of the resurrection, I have hope that one day human trafficking will no longer exist. In light of the resurrection, I have hope for blank. So it's at the table that we gather, it's at the table that we have that we have hope. And so I just want to invite us as we stand together and take communion to share wherever it is that you need hope in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. I love you all so much. It's a joy. It's a joy to walk with you, it's a joy um, to, be, to be family with you. And so I'm going to invite us to stand right now, I'm going to pray for us. If you need prayer, come to the back. If you're bearing something that you uh, need to offload and share, please come to the back and pray. And the rest of us, let's, let's go to the table and share. In light of the resurrection, in light of Jesus, I have hope for blank. And so Jesus, we, we come to you this morning just in need of the, the life and the hope um, that that only you can bring. And God, I I, I don't fully understand how how to walk in grief and pain and trials while at the same time walking in in hope. But I've seen it and I've tasted it, God. And I would just ask that by the power of your spirit that, that you would come and you would touch down in such a way Uh, That reveals to us that that shows us um, shows us the hope to which which we cling to. So God, I I just ask that no matter where people find themselves, uh, whether they need the hope of someone else this morning, or they need the shoulder of someone else, that, that you would open up the space for you to move and work. Uh, this morning in in ways that only you can. And so Jesus, um, it's you that we come to. It's in your name that we pray. Together as a church family, we say amen.